Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. It is a, a good day for um, fishing stories. And so uh, I have been reading about and hearing about a number of pretty extraordinary fishing stories of late. And I thought that um, we might reflect together on some of our favorite fishing stories. And so do you have a good fish story? You have a fish tale? Um, I don't know if you've ever been swallowed up. I mean, that's a good story, right? Like imagine the stories that Jonah had to tell. Uh and they'd be like, dude, that's such a fish story. Like, nobody's going to believe that. You got a fishing story that nobody would believe? I'm here this morning to believe you. You can text me, 877-933-2484. Um, so the fishing stories that have been catching my eye of late are not about catching fish, but about all these stories where, where people go fishing and they fish other things out of the water. The... Uh, the mayor of Tampa reeled in 70 pounds of cocaine during her family fishing trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's not what they were fishing for, but that's what they caught. Um, there were a group of fishermen off the coast of, uh, uh, of Florida, you know, just out there for a good day. And guess what they caught? They caught a whole nother load of fishermen. That's right. Um, guys whose boat, for whatever reason, had started taking on water, and they were holding on to their sinking vessel. And these fishermen, well, they fished a bunch of men out of the water. There was a guy who'd been adrift um, in his small sailboat all by himself for a number of days in, in shark-infested water, and uh, a fisherman, well, caught him. So it, of course, made me think about the stories in the Bible about fish and all of the ways that we are encouraged not just to fish, but to fish for men. Lots of fish stories in the Bible. Do you have a fish story? I'd love to hear it today. Um, how were you caught? Who went fishing for you? What pond were you in at the time? Um, do you know how to fish for men? Today, well, we're going to go fish. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be back in just a more moment with more fish stories. Mm-hmm. Fish stories. Yes. Uh, gone fishing. Oh, I see. I see. Your pictures are coming in of your big fish. Mm-hmm. Is that a walleye? Is that a walleye I see there that Bob Castro is holding in that picture? Paul Perot, do you know? I, I don't know what a walleye not, looks like, I, but that's a big fish. I know what a fish looks like when it's on a plate right in front of me after mm-hmm. it's been cooked. How they look, mm-hmm. I'm not sure which that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, I'll admit hey. that. Yeah, Bob, if you just texted that picture in of that very big fish, we need to know uh, what kind of fish that is. All and I can say is that's going to make some nice good? fillets. Yeah, mm, That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Fillet of fish. Are you a fisher of men? Um, do you have a good fish story? Ooh, I like this. God hunted me down in April of 1974. Long fish tail. 
Yeah, there you go. Oh, and Bob Castro says that's a striped bass. Well, there you go. Okay. Carmen necessarily does not <laughs> does not know her fish, but that's okay. I'm sure it was tasty, very, very tasty. So in um, in thinking about being fishers of men, we're, of course, talking about Jesus's invitation to um, the disciples. You know, they were actual fishermen, and he meets them. We're talking here about the calling of um, Peter and Andrew and James and John, right? These are all actual fishermen, and Jesus calls them from being fishermen to being fishers of men. Um, and there are all kinds of wonderful stories uh, in the Bible about fishing and these fishermen becoming fishers of men. There's even the restoration of um, of Peter um, in John 21, one of my favorite fish stories where Jesus is making breakfast on the beach and he's offering fish to these fishers of men. You could think of the feeding of the 5,000 with just uh, a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and there being so many, um, plenty left over. There's obviously the story of Jonah and the big fish. Um, But, you know, well, there's the coin in the mouth of the fish. Think about that's a good fish story, right? Um, There's a there's a tax that's due, and Jesus says, all right, well, go grab a fish out of the water and open its mouth, and in there you'll find a coin, and it'll be the right amount. And that's just a crazy story in Matthew 17, but it's a good fish story. And then, of course, there is Jesus to um, the guys who we now know as the disciples, where in Matthew chapter 4, one of the places it's recorded, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, or I will make you, by another translation, fishers of men. Um, what does that mean and what does that look like and how are we accomplishing that in the world today? Um, are you actually fishing for men? Is that what your church is doing? And do you recognize that you as a body of believers in a particular place, like you're, you're in a pond, have you learned to fish it? Because fishing in a pond or fishing in a stream or fishing a particular lake or fishing the ocean, like it's different kinds of fishing, right? Um, and yes, I mean, you know, I'll go there. You use different kinds of bait. There's like net fishing and there's line fishing. There's all kinds of fishing out there. So what kind of fishing are you doing? And how are you doing it? And with whom are you doing it? And I appreciated um, that uh, at the University of Georgia, which, by the way, <clears throat> the University of Georgia is not, you know, technically a Christian school. right? <laughs> but you got to think that any school that would have a have a an institutional program that's described as fishers of men like they get it like even if they're not out there saying it in the culture in the same way that the culture might say it if we're christians we ought to see through the veneer here and we ought to be able to say okay clearly there's somebody behind this program this cooperative program at the university of georgia partnering with local churches to serve as healthcare hubs yeah somebody gets the uh somebody gets the reality here that there are ways that we can be fishing for people today in our local communities that allow the church to be a place of blessing where people actually find the help they need. So um, these are just a handful of ideas about the way in which churches are fishing in the place where God has them. And instead of imagining that people are going to wake up on a Sunday morning and come to us. You know, I don't, I don't know about you. I've never actually like had fish drawn 
to and leap into my boat. That, that's not happened. I do know that that has happened to some people. They've been kayaking and a fish jumps into their kayak or they've been boating and a fish jumps into their boat. But it's really unusual. It's really unusual. That is a different kind of fishing expedition. And I don't really know why or how that happens. It does happen. The 153 fish that find themselves in the net in the Great Catch a Fish story, I mean, clearly God led them into the net. Like, there's, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, he put them there. He put them in a place. They let down the nets, and, and, there, and there they were. So um, I do know there's some extraordinary fishtails out there. I also know the reality that a lot of fishing is about being in the right place, putting yourself in the right place, going and looking with intentionality. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't fish from home. I actually, I mean, if I'm going to go fishing, I actually have to, like, go somewhere to fish. And it's a patient art, and it's a developed skill. And it's a real joy when you catch a fish, right? So uh, my husband, Jim, and son, Matthew, they love to go fishing, love, love, love to go fishing. And Matt then loves to tell the stories about every fish that they caught, particularly the ones that didn't come home, because, you know, those, those they let go. Well, well, why? Well, this one was too small, and this one was too big, and this one was the wrong kind, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so um, I want to just give you a handful of ideas here about the way local churches are setting down their nets and fishing for men. So the net that we might have used in the past was like putting something out there on the sign about when we were offering a Bible study or when we were offering a worship service and basically saying, y'all come. You know, everyone is welcome. Y'all come. Here's the day. Here's the time. Y'all come. Well, that's expecting fish to come to the net. What does it look like to actually um, offer something that people genuinely want? And I'm not, I'm not saying that we're doing good in order to bait people into church. I am saying that they... They're not going to come to something else we're offering if they're not drawn already to who we are and, and understand the fact that we love them. So I found evidence of churches fishing in these ways in the ponds where God has placed them. Um, there are churches partnering, to, um, to, partnering with nonprofits to serve basically as community centers. Churches doing food distribution. Um, where there's a community garden, where they offer fitness programs, um, cooling and warming center, simply opening your church as a cooling center in the summer or a warming center in the winter, um, and getting qualified to serve as a genuine storm shelter. That's actually a process you have to go through, but that's a good one. Respite programs for caregivers, um, for families who have a special needs individual. Some of those are like a weekend um, night out for parents of special needs kids, but a lot of them increasingly are respite programs during the week for during the day, during the week for folks who have a homebound older individual who needs a place to go so that, you know, the other uh, person can go do the things that need doing. Um, I love churches that are now opening a portion of their building, nine to five in some cases, eight to eight in other cases as alternative workspaces where people who would otherwise be working from home can have access to technology and restrooms and a coffee pot and, yeah, fellowship, like a shared workspace. You don't have to do anything. Just open your fellowship hall um, as an alternative workspace, as a we workspace, let's say. Um, opening your, uh, your, some part of your facility after school 
And during school breaks, like all of those days that school is out and kids are expected to be at home unsupervised, well, could they be at your church um, as a study location, um, as a place where uh, they can hang out together? How about a place for those who don't have a physical address? I love what's happening at First Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas. They um, they actually like installed a whole, I mean, the equivalent of a post office. It's not a post office post office, but it looks like, for all the world like a post office. And it's a place not only where individuals who don't have a physical mailing address can have a mailing address and get their mail, but they can also keep their valuable documents right there. Um, And so they always know where those documents are when they need them. How about an ESL or other program integrated with efforts by nonprofits in your community to assist immigrant families in a number of different ways? How about hosting congregations that worship in languages other than English? I mean, the list is actually endless. There are churches in every zip code. God has already distributed his fishermen in every pond. There's a church in every zip code. So how might God want to use those fishing outposts to actually address the felt needs of people in those places today? And yes, allow us an opportunity right where we are to be fishers of men. You got to look for intentional connections and you can't fish from home. And yes, you have to draw them in. Fishing is a patient art and a developed skill and a real joy, and we're all called to it. You got a fish story? I'd love to hear it. How have you been fishing for men and how did somebody fish for you? You can text me your story, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right, Nicole texted in. You can do so as well, 877-933-2484. Nicole says, well, we were having no luck one year on our annual fishing and camping trip, so we're sitting in the boat, and I just started talking about Jesus and the story of throwing the net over and how the net was overfilled, and guess what? Well, shortly after that, we started catching fish. Okay, see, don't you just, like, don't you just know that God was in heaven so delighted, so delighted that somebody was calling Jesus to mind and somebody was sharing a story about Jesus and he's like turning to the to the angels and saying, hey guys, watch this, right? Are you aware of God's presence and his goodness and his grace and how awesome he is? And you've got a Jesus story to bring to bear on something happening in the world today. Let's get God back into the conversations of the day. Let's Let's acknowledge, hey, we know a story about that. Have you heard the one about? It it could be a fish story, like literally. And it could be a story of fishers of men. All right, we do have a Growing Your Faith verse of the day, for those of you wondering. And I didn't start there because, well, I wanted to talk about fishing. Um, But Proverbs 14.29 is our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. You can sign up to get it in your inbox at myfaithradio.com. Growing your faith verse of the day, Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding. The one who is quick-tempered makes a display of his folly. 
So one of the um, stories in Scripture that comes to mind when I think about the difference between being a person um, who is wise and patient versus a person who displays their folly through their quick temper um, is the story in um, in First Samuel chapter twenty five about David and Nabal and Abigail. And if you've never read First Samuel twenty five, like I commend this story to you today. Um, this is uh, follows the death of Samuel and um, and the mourning period related to that. It's a season of grief. And then after this, it says David moved down to the desert of Paran. And there was a certain man um, who lived there. He was very wealthy. Um, and he, his name is Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. And now if you're saying to yourself, huh, I know Abigail as somebody else's wife. Yes, well, this would be the story of how that came to pass. And it is a story about Nabal, who is not only wealthy, but quick-tempered. He's an ugly person. He's an angry person. He's obscenely wealthy and also just, frankly, obscene. He's not nice. Nothing about him is nice. But David does not do what David might have been inclined to do, and that would be strike down Nabal. Nope. It says in verse 38 that actually the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, well, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant David from doing wrong and brought Nabal's wrongdoing uh, down on his own head. And then David sent word to Abigail. Now, Abigail, by the way, in 1 Samuel 25, Abigail is... um, She is shown to be a woman of extraordinary character and patience and grace and and long-suffering and and beauty. So we love it. It delights us that in verse 39, David sends word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. And David's servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. And she bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant. I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. And Abigail quickly got on the donkey and attended by her five female servants. She went with David's messengers and she became his wife. Um, Abigail is a beautifully patient person with great understanding. So too is David in this story. And the quick-tempered person full of folly, well, that would be Nabal. And guess what Nabal's name actually means? (laughs) It means man of folly. And so that's one of the reasons this, uh, this story comes to mind when I think about this verse from Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays his folly. Um, one quick update here on what is going on in um, in Maui. We talked about this yesterday. The death toll has risen. The catastrophic fire, fires in Maui, we've now seen um, pictures and video footage of, and um, our prayers, our prayers arise to God for all those who are suffering so greatly in the midst of this. 
the death toll has arisen, officially risen to 55. Um, they are saying it will probably surpass 60. Uh, this becomes the deadliest disaster since Hawaii became a state in 1959. The death count continues to climb as parts of the coastal community um, are yet to be thoroughly, um, yeah, I guess examined is the right word here. So the historic town of Lahaina is basically gone, um, and our prayers arise. Our prayers arise. Um, You're going to hear a lot of people ask the why question in relationship to this. And it's a good question to ask. It's a reasonable question to ask. And there's, you know, all kinds of scientific answers to the question. You know, strong winds and dry grass um, and wildfire combined um, to create quite a disaster. Why didn't people have more warning? Well, those of you who've ever experienced a fire roaring down the side of a mountain or over the top of a hill, you know exactly the why answer. But the, the bigger why question is going to be, why would God allow such a thing to happen? And... um Answers that explain the past but can't change the past are actually very unsatisfying to people who are suffering. And so most of the people that are going to be asking the why question are really asking a question about the character and the nature of God and how God is present in the midst of suffering. And so our answer as believers to this question is God is present in the midst of it. Um, not in the earthquake, not in the, not in the storm, not in the fire. God is revealed in the still small voice. And so let's listen for him right now. Let's allow God to reveal himself right now in the midst of this. Let's remain together in the grief. Um, God may not ever reveal his grand design for why he allowed such a particular event to take place, but he will reveal himself. He has revealed himself. He does reveal himself. He is faithful. And so just because we lack answers doesn't mean we live unsatisfied because his very presence comforts us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Yes, for those of you asking specifically about churches in Lahaina um, and Christians there, Um, We are aware that several churches burned to the ground, among them the um, 200-year-old church that served uh, people on the island of Maui um, for generations. It was a gathering place. It um, uh, it was a place that served as a community center for many, many people. Um, We're also aware that um, there is one particular minister who is vowing to rebuild um, the church there that he served. Um, uh, let's see, which one is this? Um, I, I don't have names for all of these. I just have the the quotes of the people. Um, but in this particular case, this uh, you know is one of the nearly three hundred structures that burned to the ground in the uh, seventeen hundred that were damaged in some way. So um, this is the Wayola Church. W-A-I-O-L-A, established as the first Christian church on Maui um, in 1823. And, um, and that church, um, Christians there are, you know, are vowing, you know what, we, we will rebuild. This, this, will, um, this will not deter um, our efforts here for Christ in this community. 
Um, but you should also know that Christians are few and far between in this particular environment. And so churches are, the headlines that you'll read is that people are grieving the, lo- the loss of quote-unquote culture. <laughs> They're not grieving the loss of churches. They're grieving the loss of, of historic places, historic buildings. Um, and that should tell us something about uh, the, the vibrancy of a worshiping community in that particular environment. Our friend Chris Martin is going to join us next. One of the things we're going to talk about, you've probably heard about it. Um, uh, the, the Justice Department asked for um, Twitter to release all of um, the content that it had related to one of its account holders. And that account holder would be one Donald Trump. And Twitter resisted that, um, but ultimately um, was ordered by a court to um, to answer the search warrant for Donald Trump's Twitter account. And so that has happened. And we're going to talk with Chris Martin about, hey, who owns my tweets or who owns my Facebook post? If I post something on a social media place that's free, then who owns the content and how might it be used even against me? That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Chris Martin is back with us today. You can find him in his Terms of Service blog on Substack. Termsofservice.social is your fast track to all things Chris Martin. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I understand that you're, you're not feeling great, but you do have a really great low radio voice. I know. I know. That's one of the side benefits. I, I am... I am, uh, feels like rounding out my first ever bout with COVID. So, yeah, somehow. <laughs> You're yeah, like, kind of late to the party. I don't know. I know. Late I know. I, cer- I certainly <laughs> could have had it sometime in the last three years, but I'd never tested positive until this week. And, uh, yeah, it's not been fun, but it's also not been awful. I've been pretty grateful. Uh, just typical. I can't taste or smell anything. You know, bad headaches, stuffy nose, fever. But the last day or so, I've uh, I've really been feeling like I'm coming out of it, so I'm doing all right. All right. Well, we'll praise God that you're rounding the corner, and um, the sense of taste and smell thing, you know, that comes <laughs> that comes back slowly for some people. So, um, I hope that uh, I hope that for you, that's a short lived experience. Uh, you know, Although, I, was telling, I was telling Paul that you know he he said it's a great it's a great uh, weight loss feature, and I said, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm just doing the best I can to just you know I can't taste anything. I've been forgetting to eat. So I'm just trying there to like eat all that healthy, you know, don't, don't get the me healthy any stuff. fun tasting food. Yeah. Just get me all the carrots and stuff, you know, it's good carrots. So I have a friend, Jennifer, who's a, um, she's in full-time missionary service in Togo, West Africa. And one of the things that God like graciously took from her, um, in calling her into that was her sense of smell. And, and she talks about it like as a gift of his grace that she can't smell because she is in environments where Things smell ter- like terrible, 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 mm-hmm. in, you know, in, in situations and um, and she can't smell. And so she just has this open, gracious heart in the midst of, you know, other people leaving the room retching and she's not because she yeah. doesn't have a sense of smell. So there you go. I mean, God uses he is a he is a strange orchestrator of things. And so anyway, I'll just uh, may may all the bad smelling things that need to be done get done while you have no sense of smell that would be my right exactly away. i'll think of that mm-hmm. you know if the if the dog throws up in the house mm-hmm. sometime this weekend mm-hmm. or whatever i'll think of that You'll be as like I'm me 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 let me do that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah right. exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. there you go all right um uh twitter i don't even know how i'm supposed to talk about it now cuz now it's x and so i don't 
I don't tweet, I guess. I X. That seems so strange. So I'm just going to keep calling it Twitter until somebody makes me stop. Um, Twitter um, is the platform that the former president, um, Donald Trump, used as his seemingly primary way, not only of communicating to the public, but possibly through direct messages um, used in lieu of email, which we apparently all know he was not a user of email. Well, the there was a search warrant issued that Twitter produce all of Trump's account information and deliver it over. Um, so can you just talk with us about like how that works? Do my tweets and my direct messages and my pictures and my videos and anything else that I would post on a social media account that I'm not paying for, is it still my property or is it theirs? Uh, it's never your property. Um, yeah, it's and and it's the the content we create on any internet platform, um, generally speaking, any social media platform. And let me say this: I'm not a lawyer, so don't take anything I say following this with any uh, sort of legal advice um, tag on it. But the content we post on Facebook or Twitter is not ours per se. It's it is owned by uh, the social media platforms themselves. Now, when it comes to like copyright or things like that, that might get a little bit more hairy. You know, it's not like it's not like um, if I post, uh, say, I wrote a poem on Facebook. You know, I could still claim that that like I have the copyright to that poem. Facebook doesn't get to claim they they have the copyright mm. to that or something. But but in terms of like, yeah, if we if we are suspected of a crime, and uh, you know the various legal authorities feel that they can find evidence of our wrongdoing in our social media communication, they're not going to come to us to subpoena that information because we don't own it. We, we, uh, we're not the one to hand over the keys to that safe or that lockbox, if you will. It would be the platforms themselves who would be turning over those keys. And so, um, yes, uh, Twitter – uh, or the platform formerly known as Twitter was subpoenaed by the, uh, or was given a search warrant by the U S government in their, in their uh, pursuit of accusation or, or uh, charges against Donald Trump. And they resisted that on grounds that uh, the government was saying, Hey, you can't tell him we're doing this. Um, it sounds like that was the, the primary reason. And perhaps they were claiming some sort of free speech, um, uh, pardon from that, but but the government said, nope, we're just going to fine you until you do this. And then after a number of days, they they did. They were fined $350,000, but Twitter eventually turned over uh, what the government was asking for. And, and if anybody listening uh, maybe is thinking, yeah, where's the free speech implications of this? Um, I think, I hope a lot of listeners would know that, you know, free speech does not extend, our right to free speech does not extend to um, criminal speech. So this is why you can't yell fire in a theater, you know, things like that. Um, there are plenty of things that you are not allowed to say like legally or, or do, or things that are, are criminal. Um, in fact, I mean, another example that's maybe a little less politically charged is a man just this week. Um, I think he had been doing it for a while, but was regularly threatening president Biden on Facebook. And, uh, he lived in Utah, uh, an older man, I understand, and the FBI eventually, you know, people have the government agencies have to take these sorts of threats seriously, even mm -hmm. if you're just some wacko posting on Facebook. And eventually the FBI showed up at his house and uh, he was armed and ready to fight them and they killed him. Um, and so 
you know, what what we post on social media has real life implications and the DMs we send, etc. And so uh, unfortunately for him, President Trump is learning that the hard way through this investigation process. For those of you not familiar with Twitter and how it works, there are things that are posted publicly as tweets. And that's what everybody can see. Um, When you go to Twitter, you can see someone's Twitter feed and you can read their Twitter messages that are public. But Twitter also has a feature where, let's say, Chris and I um, follow each other on Twitter. And then that means we can, out of the view of the public, send one another direct messages. And so I think that what um, what the investigators have in view here, you know, is both Trump's public tweets, but maybe of greater interest to them um, would be his direct messages, the things that he was saying to individuals out of the public view, um, but using the social media platform of Twitter um, to to communicate directly with individuals or um, or groups of individuals. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and there's and also the say, question of me, whether or not you could still read your drafts, like things unsent, right. unsent tweet drafts could theoretically be used as evidence here. That's right. Yeah, it, it would be interesting, you know, if he if he did draft something that could be criminally problematic, but never sent it. I wonder I wonder how that would be permissible. Uh, another thing, though, just to like, you know, people might think like, oh, man, <clears throat> social media companies are so messed up, you know. I can't believe that that they would do this. Well, here's the thing. I think, like, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I've seen this plenty of times. Your your uh, text messages can be subpoenaed for court. Like, they can, like, mm-hmm. regularly, uh, they go to telecom companies to get your text messages. Same thing with emails. Emails are regularly um, uh, brought to mm-hmm. court. So it's not like this is, it's not like social media is unique in this regard where, oh, if you talk about criminal stuff on social media, you're more liable than if you text or email about it. Um, it's just like, it's frankly, it's just being treated in the same way that texts and emails have often been treated in court that, um, you know, what you, what you say in a Twitter DM can in fact be used against you in the same way that if you said that same thing in a text or an email. All right, so that might be kind of weedy for those of you um, not on social media, but, you know, most people are using some kind of social media of some variety, and this just happens to be a conversation specifically about Twitter because it has been the former president's favorite way of communicating both with the public and potentially the way he communicated um, via direct messages as well. So this is an unfolding story, and, you know, as, as we... Think about the things that we do in private and the things that we do in public. There should be consistency for us as Christians. Um, you know, everything that is done in the dark or in secret is going to be brought to the light. That is maybe the scriptural lesson in all of this. And so we want to consistently be people who are speaking truth and advocating for truth um, and communicating in ways, both in public and in private, in ways that honor Jesus. Um, I don't want Jesus to be embarrassed. Um, should everything I've ever said in any space or place be brought to the light of day and published on the front page of a newspaper? I don't want Jesus to be embarrassed by any of that. And so as you communicate today in public and in private, um, you know, put it up to the to the lens of how is this going to reflect on the character and the person of Jesus if it were to be read in a court of law? 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. More with Chris Martin in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Are you playing the long game? We're talking with Chris Martin. Um, he's got a post up on his Terms of Service blog. He is playing the long game because the long game is everything. Chris, what's the long game you're playing, and um, what does it mean right now, at whatever stage of life we're in, to take our time? Yeah, so um, I've been doing a little bit more uh, just like life reflection in my newsletter lately as I'm winding down writing my newsletter for a period of time. Um, and, you know, I, I was reflecting recently that, you know, I, when I first was hired to my first ever job at um, a Christian publisher in Nashville called Lifeway Christian Resources, I was 22 years old. It was, it was almost exactly 10 years ago. And I was the youngest guy in the room in every room I walked into. Um, and, it was that way for for a few years, honestly. And um, I, I always loved having the role of being the young guy in the room because it was, you know, there's there's some cost that comes with that. You know, some people are like, ah, oh, you don't have experience. You just don't understand. And, and that's always frustrating. But it, it, even if it's true, it's frustrating to hear as a young person. But at the same time, um, I always loved, you know, being the young person in the room because I was able to and you can feel this even if you're just like a new person in a new company, even if you're not young, when you're, when you're the young person in the room or, or even just the new person in the room, you can ask very uh, simple questions or questions like, Hey, why do we do it this way? Or why do we do it that way without sounding like a jerk? And like, but you can really help, you know, change things and reform things um, when you're either the young person in the room or even just the new person in the room. And I, I always enjoyed being that sort of like fresh voice that, that could inject some different thought. Um, but I've realized recently, uh, you know, I'm 32 now, going to be 33 in a few months, a couple months. And uh, I'm no longer the young guy in the room. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm having the opportunity to lead and, and sort of mentor some, some of the current young people in the rooms in the organization I work for. And so, um, what I'm realizing is instead of, instead of kind of moving into this mentality of a sort of midlife crisis state where it's like, oh no, I'm no longer the young guy in the room. What do I do? I'm, I'm just doing my best to preemptively sort of embrace the fact that I'm, I'm now just one of, one of the normal guys in the room, if you will, one of the, <laughs> one of the typical aged pre people in the room. And, and I'm just starting to view, you know, things more of, of the sort of long game. Um, and in the article, I, I use a couple examples from just sort of pop culture that I've, I've seen where the long game is valuable. But, but generally, what I mean to say is that um, it's really important for us to remember that patience is a virtue. Um, and, and taking our time isn't a bad thing. I've learned this a lot in book publishing, like I work for a book publisher and Moody Publishers, and like, you know, every Tuesday we meet to evaluate book projects. 
um, and decide what we are or are not going to publish on things that aren't going to be published for two or more years, at the very least, like 18 months. But often, it's we're looking at projects that will be published in the two to three year window from when we're deciding whether or not to publish. And that's just really, frankly, that experience has given me such perspective on how valuable it is to play the long game and to not just wonder, and just very practically what I mean by that is like, don't worry about what's going to happen next week or what am I going to do tomorrow? I mean, in a lot of ways, practically, we do need to think about those things. But also like, always be thinking about how is what I'm doing today going to set me up for my career five years from now? Or how is how I'm going to parent today going to shape who my child is seven years from now? Um, thinking about life as a series of long games, you know, investing, like everything we do today is an investment in the future in some way or another, rather than just living in this sort of reactive state of, I just got to get through today. You know, sometimes we go through mm-hmm. seasons of life where we just do have to get through today. I, this week has been one of those weeks in our home, right? <laughs> where mm-hmm. I just got to get through today. I got COVID, trying to keep our family from all getting COVID, probably unsuccessfully, but we're just trying to get through the day. But sometimes when you're in kind of more of a, a typical state where you're not just in survival mode, you can be thinking of like, okay, what is how I'm going to do today? How is that going to affect my family in seven years, my work in 10 um, and just seeing life as a sort of collection of parallel long games of marathons rather than as a bunch of sprints, I think can make our our lives a little less stressful and perhaps a little bit more fruitful. I think that's really good. I um, I remember you, you brought many conversations that I've had in the past to mind as I was um, reflecting on this. And I remember sitting with a group of uh, very anxious Christians about the future of their the the affiliation of their particular church in terms of its you know denominational home, and they viewed themselves as in like life or death mode. Like it's this is a life or death decision for us as a congregation in this community. And um, and I went to the whiteboard and I you know I wrote a timeline up there, and I put the the current date right there in the middle of the timeline. And then I wrote, you know, I, I put a time, a point in time a thousand years ago and a point in time a thousand years from now. And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about, you know, let, let's talk about the timeline. Like, yes, today matters. And the decision you make today matters. But will this church be here a thousand years from now? Like, I don't know. I don't even, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the land we're standing on is going to be in the middle of the ocean a thousand years from now. So yeah, you're making a critical decision. But if you, take a, if you take a longer view of this, and so we backed that down, and then we looked 100 years back, because their church is about 200 years old, and we talked about the reality of the decisions that were made 100 years ago by faithful people. And then we tried to forecast 100 years out, and I'm like, now you can't look 1,000 years out, but can you look 100 years out? And who's going to be here then? And is it, is it generationally members of your family? If so, you know, let's talk about discipleship. And if it's not, if, it, if you don't, you know, like— all right, it's probably not going to be generations of my family. That's probably not who's living right here in the geography of this church 100 years from now. So who is going to be living here? What does it look like to make decisions today for them? And so I do think that we're so trapped in the momentary perspective of whatever it is that we think we're making a decision about. And if we could take a longer view, if we could recognize that the longer game for Christians is a generational 
conversation. It is a eternal conversation. This day, the decisions I make this day, they do matter into eternity. Um, but I do everything in this day in view of uh, the reality that one day Jesus is coming back and it's all his. He's going to he's gonna be the king. This is going to be his kingdom. Um, and if I can make decisions today in all of the long games that you're talking about in view of that really long game, you know, it's going to, it's all going to work out okay in the end. Yeah, exactly. The ultimate long game that the Christian is playing is the eternal game. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, and I don't mean to say game as in to like, you know, make light of life. Right. But it's, it's, you know what I mean by this is that I think, I think we just need to have a longer perspective on things. And I think, especially when you're, I think as you get older, you start to appreciate the long game because you you realize just by experience that life is a long game. But I think (laughs) for anyone younger, who's maybe listening or those who maybe mentor younger people who are listening, um, it's really easy to just look two weeks ahead or two months ahead when you're 27 or 24. And I think mm-hmm. the sooner you can realize the long game of life, the the more you can start to um, live wisely and not so in the moment. I love it. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for coming and joining us, even on a day when you don't feel great. And may you feel better and do all of the stinky jobs in the meantime. Exactly. Yes. Y'all have mm-hmm. a great weekend. <laughs> you too. That's Chris Martin. You ought to be reading his uh, Terms of Service blog, termsofservice.social. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. I am not one ordinarily to recommend um, a particular like follow on Twitter or quote unquote influencer out there. And I'll warn you in advance that, you know, not all of the words that this young man uses are, um, you know, like you couldn't say them from a pulpit. And I can't say some of them over the radio. But I want you to start praying for a brother in Christ named Oliver Anthony. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, he is at Ain't Got a Dollar. Um, If you want to hear him sing on YouTube, I highly recommend it. Oliver Anthony. I just want you to start praying for him today because... Sometimes you come across a person and you say to yourself, God's going to use him. Like, God's going to use him in really big ways. And I'm excited that God has this young man in, in his hands. And, um, and when you hear the quality of his voice, your heart is going to sing. So anyway, Oliver Anthony, my favorite new follow on social media. Um, we got another hour together next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.